0: The following is an exclusive presentation of WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by Bruce
1: Gresham, the Principal Strategic Advisor of Applied Vision Works. An in-depth look at how Bruce and President Don Hadley help businesses reach their long-term goals. Here's your host, Bruce Gresham.
0: Welcome to Building a Leadership Culture podcast brought to you by Applied Vision Works. I'm your host, Bruce Gresham, and so grateful to be a part of the Applied Vision Works team. want to give a quick shout out to the team at WPTF and specifically Chris Hooks, who makes all of this really, really easy. Makes me sound good. We have brilliant guests on, so they don't need any help. But Chris and the team at WPTF really help us out in getting this into the uh, world of uh, the internet. We're a business coaching firm that helps businesses of all sizes reach their goals faster. You can learn more at our new website that we just launched last month at AppliedVisionWorks.com or feel free to give us a call at 919-739-2980. Continuing on our topic with Michelle Granger executive director of the north carolina sweet potato commission topic is teamwork leadership and culture oh my where we ended the conversation michelle last time was around meeting people where they are and then also working to develop kind of a vision for for the team and and stretch goals for the team and, and individuals Just starting with meeting kind of people where they are, whether it's the folks that work with you, for you, or your customers, What, how do you go about that? What does that mean to you?
1: I like to consider myself as a people person. And so I want to know what makes people tick. I want to know what excites them, what it is that they're motivated by and so that's truly where I start or at least attempt to try to start any type of new relationship as I'm learning people whether that's a new hire for my team whether that's a contractor that we've just hired however it may be because I'm all about trying to assess their assets and skill sets uh, and how that might play into my big picture and vision. I feel strongly that most people, if not all people, want to be part of a winning team. If I can find ways to leverage their strengths, we're, we have a far better probability of winning than if I intentionally ignored their strengths and perceptions and educational experiences, etc. So, that is where i start is that that kind of general get to know you assessment. And I'm, I'm reading people and I'm, I'm reading their body language as well as their choice of words and, and what it is that they're choosing to prioritize and telling me. And and then I go from there and I I build it up. I like puzzles. I like how mechanics work. I'm not very good at creating them, but I'm, I'm very good at looking at them and going, wow, that's pretty awesome. So (laughs) I look at that as, as team creation too. And it's all, about, okay, where's my end goal? What do I have? What pieces am I missing? And and how do we find that? And that could indeed be about stretching folks, creating opportunities for them to grow. It may require bringing in others, but nine times out of 10, I think most people are willing to rise to the challenge if they know where they're going and, and what the end result or desire is ultimately, because they do want to be on a winning team. They want to have that sense of accomplishment. And they want to know that their efforts were significantly appreciated, valued, and recognized. And I think it's really important along the way to be very public about your praise and recognition of those who are contributing.
0: A lot of what you said is really about listening. And of course, there's the old saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. But another way of Thinking of it is instead of making statements, ask more questions. You know, if you can ask five, six questions of the person before you make a statement or give an assessment, it really helps them feel like it's a back and forth conversation versus you demanding a a certain thing of, of the person.
1: Absolutely. It goes back to the comments I made in our last segment about inclusivity. And ensuring that those that you are surrounding yourself feel that they're included, that they're included in part of the vision, they're included in certainly the effort of getting it done, and they're included in the recognition of the accomplishment once it's been made. And back to my statements in our past segment on innovation, the successful innovation stories happen because they pulled from very different resources, perspectives, and roles and responsibilities. And it's those innovation teams that are successful that are diversified in how they go about accomplishing what their stretch goal may be, because they made that intention to ensure that there is diversity. And if you do that, you need to hear it out. You, you need to actually ask those questions and, and not just be a bunch of talk instead, recognize you went after diversity and now you need to welcome that in and factor it into the decisions that you make.
0: You've mentioned the word vision a good bit during this conversation. How do you go about working with the team to identify craft and and hone a vision, the bigger picture, if you will, for four to five years from now, but also try to figure out how you're going to get there, kind of the roadmap or flight path, if you will.
1: Well, I think in business, particularly in today's culture of business, does not matter what industry you're in. It's going to move fast because everything is moving fast. And so while you may have a vision for three or five years out, you also need to have the ability to be agile and willing to adjust that vision pivot it to accommodate the new needs and pressures that may arise and quite honestly interrupt the long game temporarily it, you may be able to circle back to that three and five year vision but you need to address what as all of a sudden Appeared. And, and so I think recognizing that it may not work out initially the way you expected it would it's kind of going back to the statements we were talking about earlier about failure and that failure is okay. This, this is different in that you're not saying that you failed, but if you're not tying yourself so tightly to an idea or a plan, then you have the ability to recognize new opportunities that might be right in front of you, but they're opportunities that you must seize at that moment and therefore put those plans on hold. When you fail, if you're able to recognize what you learned from it and build upon it, you're only propelling and going that much further faster. From a vision statement, I think you always need to have multiple game plans. And you need to have immediate uh, short term goals to moderate longer term and and then uh, ultimate longer term with recognition that life's going to always change. The industry's always going to change. There's always going to be a hot topic that you were not expecting and comes in from out of left field. And are you ready to acknowledge it and and at least address it?
0: That's a great point that plans change and, and there's new realities and that kind of thing. But at their core, companies are going to kind of be themselves and they manifest themselves in kind of the the culture that they have of their people. How important is culture to this this overall theme of how leadership and teamwork kind of combine with culture to help companies and organizations be successful
1: culture is everything there's a famous quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast every day there's nothing more true when you talk about culture as to the importance of that statement you know it sounds kind of flippant but if you have studied culture particularly organizational culture and the impact it has in the ability for an organization to succeed or ultimately fail from a financial standpoint, viability, being relative, whatever the case may be. If you are not continually fostering that culture so that you can grow, you can change, you can pivot, you can acknowledge everything that's coming at you, then you're going to be quite challenged. I feel so fortunate that in the Innovation Research Center that I was involved with for 20 years, While my educational background and training was not around culture specifically, because of my personal leanings of how I like people and how I like how people tick and get to know people, I was naturally gravitating towards the research that we did time and time again around innovation and the culture. And so therefore, before it was all said and done, I was leading cultural assessments of global companies. And while I was trained by incredible PhDs that are well-published individuals, and had the opportunity to sit at their knee essentially to learn from them at the end of the day it was me who was running these conversations and running workshops about that particular organization's culture and where they're strong and where they have gaps that they could have the opportunity to fill and and see a significant difference elsewhere so I will always start and end a conversation with any organization on the importance of culture.
0: You know, it's so funny that you mentioned that Peter Drucker quote around, you know, culture, each strategy for breakfast, lunch, whatever the, the quote was. I just had an article that I published in a communications industry magazine where I referenced that quote and hearing that more and more from business leaders, it's almost kind of recycled itself, if you will. And then related it to the idea of there's a perceived culture, what you think the culture is in an organization, and then the, the actual or real culture. And we had this conversation within one of our customers and how do you think about kind of real, real or actual culture versus perceived culture? And how do you manage the the back and forth of those?
1: Well, it's important to note that absolutely every organization has its own unique culture, just like each of us as humans have our own unique personalities that fits for an organization. An organization also has subcultures. And those subcultures are very strong and should never be underestimated as to their power of influence and ability to change the tides for good or bad within them. From a perceived culture versus a reality or our actual culture, we would often refer to that in our research as rose-colored glasses and see that more often than not, but I can give you plenty of examples where it is not this way, where the executives, the C-suite would have more rose-colored glasses than those at the different levels of the different trenches that they were entrenched in and, and working so hard at. And it was because, especially in your larger organizations, they're not as agile And there's multiple layers, and your executive team is that much further removed from the realities of what's going on. And so we would see that when we would run these analysis and assessments, the subcultures and the fact that the perception of employees to that organization's culture did not align with the leadership's perception of that organization's culture. And we also would see it in different segments of. The organization too. specifically speaking of tenure and and individuals or groups of individuals who have been at the organization for a certain amount of years in comparison to a group that has been there, a totally different classification of years. And that could swing in in a number of ways, too, but it, it points to the subculture factor that it is very real and it's very important in my opinion as a leader to truly be grounded in what the real culture is and if you don't like that real culture then as a leader that is one of your ultimate responsibilities is to lead by example and to take ownership of that and make it a top priority for changing it i was so fortunate to have a boss with the research center who was a great at IBM. And he is well-documented for achieving many things. But one of the things that he did was to help IBM alongside a small team kind of reshape themselves in the late 90s when things were going really, really badly for the organization. And they were very close to being sold off. And Lou Gershner recruited personally my boss to come onto this small team. And Paul Muggy is is my boss's name, and he's written a couple books himself uh, on this. And he will tell you anytime, and he would tell any of our clients this, Lou Gershner dedicated over 80% of his calendar time every month to the culture of IBM and trusted that all of the other aspects of management were going taken care of and worked out through the individuals who had been given the rightful positions to do so, because he felt it was so important. And Paul would tell you that's what helps change IBM was someone who would dedicate that kind of time. So that's always stuck with me. And I know that was a bit long-winded, but I think it's important to say that culture is important. No matter what size your organization may be,
0: that is an excellent, excellent way to uh, wrap up the topic. Great, great example with with IBM. You know, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is you have an excellent TED Talk that folks can go out on the internet and see where you talk about what do you think about when you think about a, a farmer. Tell us a little bit about that experience and. How you came to wanting to do that and how you crafted the message, that that kind of thing.
1: Oh, sure. I'd love to. It it is, and my estimate will be that it will always be one of my most proud accomplishments, personally and professionally. I've always admired individuals who have given TEDx or TED talks. And never did I ever think that I I did to do that myself. And quite honestly, it was very intimidating when that happened. But I was indeed invited to give a TEDx talk at a first of its kind event in Cary. And it was called TEDx Cary Women. And it was in December of 2019 at SAS Institute. And my topic was on agriculture and specifically. What comes to mind when you think about farms, farming, and farmers? And my whole motivation and drive around that was to tell this audience at SAS Institute in Cary, North Carolina, that used to be very agrarian and now is very much not agrarian, there is so much complexity to agriculture. It is not Old McDonald in his overalls with a pitchfork and a straw hat, even though that is often what we immediately think of when we hear farm or farmer, the technology, the innovation, the research, the creativity, the ingenuity of the individuals who work in this industry are just off the charts. And the truth is, our country would not be as great as it is. Had it not been for agriculture and we would not be able to feed ourselves or ultimately defend ourselves if we did not have agriculture and given political climates and changes that have been occurring as late as we have more and more generations that much further removed from agriculture, I felt very compelled to give this talk and I worked so Hard. I had no idea giving a TEDx or a TED talk required the level of preparation that it does. And even though I've admired them and have thought, "Oh gosh, those people really have it together," I honestly just thought that they pulled their thoughts together and then got up on the stage and and gave the talk. That could not be further from the truth. In this program, you are assigned a professional coach. That works with you, which was incredible. That was a professional coaching opportunity for me that I had never been given. Someone who would help you hone your thoughts, make your statements as strong as possible, but as succinctly as possible. Because in the TED world, you are constrained to a certain amount of time. And it varies depending on the platform that you're, you're on. And if you don't make your time limit, too bad you you're done. You you know you kind of get pulled off the stage of sorts, even if it's
0: at the old hook, huh? Yeah,
1: the old hook comes and pulls you off. I wanted so desperately to make the audience, whomever that might be, at the end of the day, think differently about agriculture, and most importantly, think differently about our farmers and ranchers today, the modern farmers and ranchers and what they're doing and how they're going about doing it and really dispelling this idea that those who farm, particularly on a larger scale, don't care about the environment, don't care about future generations and are just out for the money. Nothing could be further from the truth. These 98% of farms in the U.S., North Carolina included, are family owned. They are multi-generation and they are not going to do anything that is going to harm their own family who may be eating off that land right this very moment, much less three generations from now. They want it to stay in the family. To be a farmer or a rancher, you are told time and time again, you are called to do that these individuals and what they go through in their families and the uncertainty at so many times, the rest of us mere mortals would not do that.
0: I love that. Mere mortals. That's exactly right.
1: You know, our farmers and ranchers are heroes and they will always be heroes to me. So this invitation was huge and I could not have been more excited when TED.com picked up my TEDx talk because that's not always guaranteed. And so I'm very proud to say for anyone who's interested in hearing more about agriculture from my perspective, you can find it on ted.com by searching my name.
0: Absolutely. It's out there on YouTube as well. And if folks want to connect with you and the North Carolina Sweet Potato Commission, they can find out more at ncsweetpotatoes.com. You also have a nice, great following on LinkedIn, so they can find you there as well. Michelle, just to wrap up the conversation, what are some of the exciting initiatives, endeavors that you and the commission are uh, tackling right now?
1: Thank you for asking. Uh, so as I stated in our last program, we talked about the commission's mission on promoting sweet potatoes and that we do this in a number of ways. We have two different initiatives right now that I am so proud of. The first is a through K-12 STEM related curriculum program. All of the curriculum lesson plans map directly to the National Board Education Standards. So when you download a a lesson plan, it gives you the coding for what those standards are that it's mapping to. They are free on our website and we are continually adding curriculum all the time to that. We just had a nationwide teacher contest for teachers to incorporate this curriculum into their existing lesson plans because this curriculum should be considered as uh, supplemental, not all encompassing. So if you have a particular topic area in STEM that you're trying to, to fill additional information, this is where it is a great resource. And we just as this contest called Teach Suite, it was a huge success. We had teachers apply all the way from West Texas, to North and Northern New York. Of course, we had a great representation here in the Southeast and we had as far away as South Korea. It was fantastic to see our curriculum come to life on social media as they posted their classrooms using it. So my message to your listeners is this will not be the last Teach Suite contest. Stay tuned, keep checking back. The other program and project that we have going is the commission is very proud and we take our nutritional superfood status quite seriously, so much so that we have a registered nutritionist of record our registered dietitian uh, of record, as well as we have other registered dietitians that we work with. We have just published both in print and digitally, a retail registered dietitians toolkit, which is a 12 month toolkit that provides all kinds of access and resources, specifically for those registered dietitians in the retail market space, where they can have social media posts, they can have recipes, they can have health benefits etc easily made already created that they can utilize and and we're, we're incredibly excited about both of these and so many other opportunities that we have coming this year
0: well congratulations on becoming the executive director of the north carolina sweet potato commission and all the great things that you and the growers and everybody else involved with the commission are accomplishing congratulations
1: Thank you so very much. It's been great so far, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for North Carolina Sweet Potatoes.
0: Thank you for joining the show, Michelle. Take care.
1: Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast with Applied Vision Works Principal Strategic Advisor Bruce Gresham. Questions? Concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of WPTF and Applied Vision Works.